of Central Florida, and so I live on the Barrier Island. And you know, I'm very fortunate because I can go to the beach and I like to watch the sunrise in the morning. They're not really letting people congregate on the beach where I live, so beach patrol is out. They're making sure that everyone's a couple hundred feet apart. Um, but um, it's also giving me a time to focus on on a lot of uh, more internal type projects. So I just finished a manuscript on my next book, and I'm doing a lot of uh, shows like this one, uh, where, where we're on online. Uh, and what, what's really nice, Mike and Vanessa. First off, thank you for having me on the show. Thank you. It's great to be back. I can't believe it's been a couple of years. I mean, because I see you guys uh, in cyberspace all the time, and it's really <laughs> great. But what I think is um, really wonderful about the technology that we have is I decided to take uh, my 2020 Visionary Tour. We had the Mark Anthony 2020 Visionary Tour and go virtual with it. So I appreciate you having me on the show because I want to you know, continue to, to discuss things and, and do mediumship readings and also lecture topics. I've got a number of them coming up. So um, I think that this is time for all of us to take advantage of this interconnectedness that technology does for us. You're absolutely right. And that was the one thing that I have found fascinating is people, you see it a lot on social media. They're very upset. They're very upset because they can't do the things they want to do and, and be out in public. But personally, granted, you know, albeit in a very weird way, we've received a gift. We're still able to connect. We're still able to communicate, but we're also we also have time for self reflection that we wouldn't normally have in our busy day to day lives. And we are a million times more blessed than those that went through the Spanish flu that were stuck in little rooms, no TVs, no telephones, no internet, no nothing. It amazes me that people are still complaining about it. I'm okay. shocked. Well, you know, I understand because so many people are out of work right now. I mean, this is the most people out of work since the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. but I'm one of them. Depression, well, un unlike the Great Depression, it's not that the economy ran itself into the ground. This was an external threat which came in. And when we are able to get things under control, I uh, believe the economy is going to rebound and we will recover. And if history mm -hmm. taught us anything, Bad times always come to an end. Now, in the meantime, for those folks who are out of work, it is it is very difficult, and and they are getting desperate. I don't I don't blame them uh, for for what they're going through. Um, but you know, this is also a time we can. There are some things that are beyond our control, and while we cannot change the fact that this pandemic is happening, what we can do is what we have control over is our emotional response to it. Yes. And, and drawing upon the past is extremely important. I mean, there's a lot of people out there saying this is a hoax and it's ridiculous and that they, they all want to congregate. And I understand their frustration. But at the end of World War One, which uh, officially ended in 1918, a, a lot of people in the United States all went out to the streets and all started to celebrate. And that was during the, the down swing of the Spanish flu mm -hmm. and then it started to spread again in fact the Spanish flu then killed more people than died in World War one and that's, mm -hmm. that's millions and so we have the benefit of that history and so social distancing at this point as inconvenient and as frustrating as it is the only way to prevent this is to not get it not spread it and very true 
Yeah, and, and there, there's a, a spiritual ramification to all of this, too. You know, Vanessa and, and Mike, for the first time in human history, all the medical experts and bioscientists in the world are working together for common purpose. Mm -hmm. This is unprecedented. This has never happened before. Our brain trust is all working because planet Earth now has a common enemy. Now we're finding that it's spreading into dogs and cats. And more people have died in the United States as of today from COVID-19 than we lost in the Vietnam War. So what this is teaching us is that if we put our scientists working together, because scientists like to share information, scientists and doctors like Doctors Without Borders is a beautiful organization, and you get all of our medical experts, all of our biologists, all of our chemists, um, all of them working together. What this shows us is not only will we find a vaccine and treatments and contain this, but it's also showing planet Earth, that we can combine our technology to solve the planet's problems. We can come up with cleaner sources of fuel, either cleaning up fossil fuels or going over to something completely different, which we have the technology for. We can mm -hmm. increase food production. We can work to control um, population growth in, in positive means. What we saw just on Earth Day is, was phenomenal. The skies are cleaner. The water's mm -hmm. cleaner. For the first time in hundreds of years, Dolphins have been spotted in the canals of Venice. That hasn't happened for something like 500 years. Yeah, that was really amazing. Yeah, the people of Mumbai, India, can actually see the mountains, um, uh, uh, you know, which before all they saw was smog. Um, and animals are returning to, to sections of national forests and parks that haven't been seen in those regions for, for a century or more. So what we're learning is that if we work together, instead of putting our scientists into how can we blow each other up and eliminating this us versus they syndrome, because that's been the plague of humanity. We're better than you. We have a better religion than you. We're racially superior. We're blah, 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 blah. Unlike human beings, this disease is not a bigot. It doesn't discriminate. It kills everybody, okay? And yes, many, many people survive it, but, but it's so devastating that it is forced humanity to work together. So yes, it's negative, but something positive is coming out of this. And it's showing us that technologically we can work together. Exactly. And I mean, I, I can't lie and say that I don't have fears about it. Sure. Um, there's, a there's a very real possibility. I'm one of the people that's out of work. I'm still waiting on my unemployment and it's been five weeks, still waiting on it. So my savings is gone. But there's a very real possibility I'm going to be at work on Monday. Now, what you need to know is I'm a dental assistant. I'm in the number one category for exposure. Number one. More than a doctor, more than a nurse working directly with a COVID-19 patient because I can't wear a biohazard suit. <laughs> wow. So, yes. And uh, so that's something I get to look forward to as soon as Monday. So it's, I, I, knowing that now, um, and agreeing with everything you're saying, um, it's only solidified the fact that, that I've tried to get through this the best that I can. And that's with the most positive attitude possible, because you said it best. 
we can't control the situation, but we can control our reactions to it and how we deal with it. And I wish that was more prevalent out there in society. I understand frustration, but it does no good. Yeah. And, and, you know, there are so many theories about this and I don't subscribe to any of them, but I've been keeping track of them, how uh, 5G technology is actually causing vibrational uh, influence on cells that are causing this. Uh, then there is that um, it was a biological weapon which got out of the Chinese uh, chemical, um, excuse me, bio um, facilities in Wuhan province, which is very, very possible. Mm-hmm. And that this is part of the new world order um, to, I don't know, to, to basically destroy the world economy so that we all stay home. Um, I have a hard time believing all of those simply because I'm a student of history. And we've known since the dawn of recorded history that there have been plagues. Uh, We know about the bubonic plague and people had crazy theories then too that God was punishing the world when actually it was a disease carried by fleas. Mm, On rats. On rats and everybody had rats back then. Then there was the plague of 1665. Now the plague of 1665 is fascinating because it came at the peak of the enlightenment and Sir Isaac Newton decided to self-quarantine. He was a brilliant guy. And while in self-quarantine, he invented calculus, he developed the laws of gravity, and he developed the laws of optics. So he's sort of a a role model for, you know, this is also time to work on those things that we never seem to get around to do. I've also seen, you know, in in my neighborhood, because I try to walk, or I do walk every day, walk a couple miles every day, I'm seeing parents spending time with their children that I've never seen in a way before. And so, yes, the the economic difficulties are are absolutely devastating, but all of a sudden we've all been put on pause and we're forced to reevaluate and see what's really important in our lives. That's that's a great point. So Mark, what can people do while they're at home to, you know, to try to self-improve? What, what are some, you know, hot tips there? Well, certainly any type of exercise that you can get. I mean, that's pretty much common sense. Um, we're all going for comfort food, you know. Right. Not, be, be mindful of that because you need to keep your health as well. Okay, Vanessa, you're a dental assistant. What people want to do is avoid going to the doctor right now. We want to do that. Um, meditation, very, very important. And the thing about meditation, uh, a lot of people feel that, you know, you have to go into these deep altered states for hours and hours. A simple meditation is to basically sit there. It can only be five minutes and you breathe in through your nose, exhale through your mouth. And when you breathe in through your nose, envision that you're bringing in white light. And when you exhale through your mouth, think of everything that's frustrating you, aggravating you, um, you whether it's something from your past or your frustrations now as a dark cloud. And then each breath in white light, each breath out and and envision the cloud getting lighter and lighter. So it goes from black to dark gray to light gray towards white light in, white light out. And what you'll find is your tension level begins to reduce. So a lot of times people think that, oh, meditation, I need to learn how to levitate the Pentagon. Well, you don't. That might be fun, though. It might be fun. Thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) You may have Department of Homeland Security knocking on your door. 
But uh, the thing about meditation, think of your consciousness, Mike and Vanessa, as a, a, um, a whiteboard. And all day long, you're writing with a Sharpie, every thought, every emotion, every impulse. So that at the end of the day, it's a mess. And the point of meditation is to essentially let's erase the whiteboard so we can focus on one thing. You know, maybe it's how do I self-improve? How do I relax? How do I improve my relationships? You know, how, how do I, I um, you know, become a better parent for my children? Focus on, on one thing. Focus on something simple. And also realize that I am powerless to change what is happening, but I am empowered to mm -hmm. change how I react to it. And one of the blogs that I've written, which is on the blog uh, page or section of my website, my website is evidenceofeternity.com, is entitled Empowerment Through Being Powerless. And sometimes we have to realize that because I'm powerless over something, that in and of itself empowers you to let it go. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and, bingo. Yeah, bingo. <laughs> I remember uh, I was talking to this this woman um, about going to a high school reunion. And she goes, I don't want to go there. She said, oh, they were all so mean to me in high school, and I hated my high school years and all this. I said, yeah, but there's nothing you can do about that. So let that go. And if you don't want to go, then don't. And she goes, wow, that never occurred to me. And so she became empowered by realizing that she was pow powerless to change the past. That may sound very basic. But um, it's an extremely important thing to do. So, so I hope that answers your, your question, Mike. Well, yeah. Anyway, a lot of things we can do. Yeah, the, and there are. There are. But do you think people are getting really hung up and maybe overstressed over all of this right now? I mean, I, you know, yeah, there's so much news. We're getting hit up with so much information. And a lot of it's just talking heads. Do you think that that um, it causes some undue stress upon people that's just not needed right now? Oh, sure. I mean, you, you turn on TV, it's COVID, you know, yeah. you turn on other radio, it's COVID. I mean, a friend of mine, she put up on Facebook, she goes, does anyone know a good movie on Netflix? And I had to restrain myself. I go, yeah, there's a movie called Pandemic. And, <laughs> <laughs> and there's another movie called Outbreak. And right, like, right. And Don't forget Contagion. There's Contagion. Okay. And I think Netflix just put out something on COVID itself. So. Yeah, it's like, you know, uh, um, um, and, and what I, I did the other day over the weekend, I just put on TV land and I did like a whole Roseanne and everybody loves Raymond marathon. And I realized I was laughing at, you know, this, this mindless, uh, comedies all day. Um, and you know, because if, if somebody on Facebook said, is there any horror movies that you would recommend? It's like, yeah, CNN. I mean, you know, you turn it on all I hear is COVID, COVID, COVID. Mm -hmm. It's important to stay informed and it's important to, to be smart about this, but don't get so immersed in it. You know, let, mm -hmm. it, look, um, one of the blogs I wrote and, and I'm actually going to be giving an inspirational talk uh, this weekend uh, virtually for, for a spiritual organization at church. When I was a teenager, I remember I, I met this elderly woman and she was from England. And her name was Anita, you know, and I love the British because see the difference between American English and British English is they pronounce all of their consonants. Mm -hmm. yeah. we, we say, I don't do that. You know, D-O-A-N. They say, I don't 
do that, you know, and, and I was really captivated with her. And then when somebody mentioned that she had lived through the London air blitz, she had my undivided attention. Wow. Yeah. I was always a a history buff. I've always been a history buff. I like history, archeology, span theology, quantum physics. And so I said, you lived through the London air blitz. What was it like? And she goes, it was dreadful. And she said, 1940 was simply dreadful. She said, for four months, nonstop, the Germans bombed London. And I'm like, oh, my God. And she said, I'll never get the the sound of those dive bombers out of my head. She goes, when they come dive bombing and they make the sound, she goes, and I go, oh, I read about that. Um, Hitler actually ordered loudspeakers put on the wings of the Stukas so that when they would dive bomb, they'd make this shrill, horrifying sound. And I go, they were designed to scare people. And she looked right at me and said, well, they did more than that, Mark. They killed people. And, you know, here I am, a, a, you know, a 17 year old kid that, you know, thought I knew everything. And I was like, oh, I never thought about that. And she said it was simply horrifying. She said one day I went to work and it wasn't there. And she said another day I came home and it wasn't there. And she goes, luckily, mum, meaning her mother, got delayed at work because our house took a direct hit because I came home and my home was smoldering into ashes. She said, then we'd scurry for cover in the tubes. She goes, subways, you Americans call them. Mm-hmm. And, and there we are huddled together and the, the ground and everything was shaking as the bombs were going off. She says, we're huddling together. She was not very English being tactile with strangers, you know, and it was funny because she was this very dignified English woman. She said, we were all in this together. And she said, then when we weren't out on the streets and if we were at work, we would have to scurry into the basement. And she said, we never knew what was going to happen next. I said, how did you cope? She said, stiff up her lip. I go, what? She goes, stiff up her lip, Mark. She said, we had no choice. You have to put one foot in front of the other and trudge on. And she said, and she, the thing that really impressed me about her, she was, you know, maybe like 18 or 19 when that was going on. Yeah. And she said that, I found something in me I didn't know was there, a resolve, an inner strength. She said, somehow I knew we were going to survive. And then she said, and and she started talking about all of her friends who had died. And she said, lofty. And I go, lofty, I don't understand. She goes, that was a young man I was rather fond of. And I said, okay. She said, they called him lofty because he was so tall, you know, like his head was in, you know, the loft. And she said that he lived in a, an apartment, a flat near her, and it took a direct hit. She said they never found his body. I'll never forget her looking down and this tear rolled down her cheek. I could tell that she'd had a crush on this young guy. And she said, hell of a nice guy, Lofty was. And she said, but Mark, there are things in life you can control and things that you can't. And all that you can control is like what we were saying earlier is how you react to them right and she's that and mr churchill on the radio every night <laughs> encouraging us you know it's like you know boy we could use him now um but but the thing is she taught me about an inner strength that that we all have and that we can all access and she said we were all in it together we worked together and we got through it and we survived and we did And the thing, Mike and Vanessa, 
I don't mean for for one second to downplay the seriousness of, of like Vanessa, what you're going through financially, and and all of us, we're all sure. taking a big yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it's like um, it, it, this is this is really really tough. But the thing is, we're not being asked to write out the German Luftwaffe's Blitz of London. And Mike, you and I are not being sent off to storm the beaches of Normandy or right. Okinawa. We're being asked to stay home and watch Netflix. Exactly. Yeah, it's a, it's so, a little easier. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a lot. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> so we need to learn from, from our forebears. This is bad. There's no denying it. But it could be much worse. We're not sitting around waiting for nuclear fallout to hit us. You know, because even in a limited nuclear war, let's say, you know, we got into it with North Korea or Iran or something and there was a nuclear exchange, it's going to poison the whole world and we're all going to be affected by it. So we need to take this into perspective. We will get through this. I have faith in our scientists and our medical experts. We will prevail, just like Mr. Churchill telling the Brits we will never surrender and all the odds are against them. But they did. And we will, too. Yeah, it was a and, voice for them to rally behind. So do we have that kind were, of voice today? <laughs> what? Go ahead, Vanessa. Oh, no, I was going to say something he said earlier reminded me of something I posted the other day. And I just wanted to bring it to your attention. And I posted it for a reason, not even knowing you were going to say this. But it was a quote by Aristotle. It says, what it lies in us to do, it also lies in us to not do. And that is exactly what your empowerment quote means. It means that we have a choice. Every situation that we are given, we have a choice. Our choice hasn't been taken from us. We choose how to deal with that and how to get through with that and what we can take from that and move forward into the future. Absolutely. And yeah, go ahead, honey. No, no, I'm agreeing with you. You know, not that I'm a big fan of Friedrich Nietzsche, but um, I always like this am. book. Uh, he said, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. It's, it's better when you say yeah. accent. <laughs> but, but, but it's true. Um, America is the land of plenty. Yeah. We, for the most part, but there's a lot of very um, people suffering from misfortune and, and poverty and, and, and uh, you know, for, for want. But I've been all over the world. And I've been to some pretty intense places in the third world. And I've seen people laying there in the mud, uh, starving. And there were no government handouts. There was nobody and nothing for them. And we live in this, this amazing land of plenty. And so now we are facing hardship and deprivation. But it's going to make us all stronger in, in the long run. Um, it is horrifying to see the body counts on a daily basis. Yeah. You know, when you hear, oh, good news, uh, only 343 people died today in New York City. And I'm like, what? Yeah, and, only, right. Uh, only, you know, but then again, a week ago, it was a thousand people a day. Um, so, so, but, but, but the curve is flattening in some areas, but I'm concerned very much so, um, not just as, as a, a student of science, but also uh, as a, as the spiritualist, that this rush to reopen France, um, we we heard from uh, the French today. They they had reopened, and all of a sudden the COVID cases start spiking upwards again. So now they're pulling back, and we need to take a lesson from the Europeans because uh, you know they they've had their peaks. They said you've got to be very measured in how you reopen, 
And I mean, all of us want to be reopened. I mean, I know Mike right. does, you do Vanessa. I mean, everybody does, but let's do this intelligently. And for God's sakes, we need to listen to the scientists. And, and there's this big conflict since the, the days of Sir Isaac Newton of faith versus science. And for centuries, there have been, it's been split into two camps. You know, the faithful look at scientists as heretics and atheists, and the people of science look at people and religion as following a bunch of mythological superstitions. But let's, let's bridge the gap between the two. Per, perhaps the greatest gift or the greatest gift God has given us is not only our individuality, but our brain. And now it's time to use it. Okay, so if we all skip religious services for a few weeks not to catch and propagate a highly contagious and potentially lethal disease, I'm pretty sure the Almighty is going to forgive us. Okay, because getting together and congregating and in, in passing this illness around is only making a bad situation worse. So I think it's time that we listen to our scientists, but we still have faith that the the guidance, the love, and the light that is God will guide us through this. Yeah, and I, I think there's, I think people are, are are getting frustrated because I mean, yeah, large congregations. I think we can understand that. My son's graduation is you know continuously being postponed further and further into the summer. My niece's was basically completely canceled. I think we can understand large gatherings like that. I think where people are really getting um, you know, hit at home, of course, is, is with jobs. So many people are out of work right now. I've been fortunate where I can you know, work remotely, but so many other people, you know, um, you know, like, you know, Vanessa's been having, you know, some issues there. I guess you're going back to work here soon, Vanessa, but others, you know, they are continuously being saying, told, wait, 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 but they have bills to pay. You know, yeah. so there's there's that feeling of we need to get back to work, we need to get back to work, but then also, yeah, it's, it's we don't want to rush too quickly because then, you know, this thing can start to spread again. So, you know, what could we do to kind of, you know, come to that understanding that I need to work, but yet we need to be patient? You know, there, there's got to be a happy medium somewhere. Uh, Go ahead, Vanessa. I, I want to I jump in there real quick simply because I'm in this situation and I want to address this publicly. I, I, I as well see what everybody is saying on social media with the bills to pay and everything else. And believe me, I understand that. My savings is gone. But there hasn't been one bill I've had, rent, water, electric, car payment, insurance, anything, that when I've called them to pay it, they haven't given me the option to postpone. Every last one has given me the option to say, hey, do you need to hold on to your money for food? You can pay pay a little bit now, pay us later. I've paid them all just to be safe because I could. But every single one has given the option. And I have to believe it's not just my people doing that. And the other thing you're going to find interesting, I just got the notification. My second job is opening up on Friday. Yay. And it's a restaurant. And it's a wow, restaurant. It's a restaurant. Well, yeah. uh, I, I think what what – the Europeans have done, and certainly the South Koreans ought to be our model, um, is let, let's say we can start opening retail. If we can open, uh, you know, grocery stores are open, and make it a requirement. Everybody that comes in and the employees have to be wearing a face mask until we have a vaccine, a preventative, and, and proper treatments for this. We're all going to have to adapt. 
we're not going to be living in spacesuits forever, right? That's not going to happen. But we can start doing measured openings. You know, let's get the retail going. Let's get some of the restaurants going, even if it's takeout and curb service. And I think that we can gradually start to, to uh, um, get the economy going again. We just got to be careful about it. Um, you know, and I don't want to get political, but, you know, oh, all right, I'm going to get political. <laughs> Just do Go it. ahead. Just all do right. it. Say it. All these huge corporations have billions and billions of dollars. Now, if people on an individual basis are told that, okay, you're supposed to have in your savings six months of, of overhead of bills for lean times. Well, how come these multi-billion dollar corporations don't have six months worth of operating expenses saved up? I'm sure that they do. And I understand the government's philosophy of let's bail out these big corporations so that people will have jobs to go back to. However, if the corporations can sustain themselves for, let's say, three months, wouldn't it make more sense to be giving the people the stimulus checks for three months to cover their rent and basic expenses or uh-huh. order some type of deferment where you don't have to make credit card payments or utility payments simply for three months, just just give a deferment. And then when the three months is up, don't say you gotta pay the last three months, just start it from there. And I've heard economists say that they can do this and basically it'll give everybody a three month breather. And I just don't understand why that isn't happening. So for anyone in an elected office that can do something about this, that is hearing me, you know, give it a shot because that's why people are so so afraid. And, and like, you know, Vanessa, you've got two jobs where you're going to have to be up close and personal with people. All yeah. up in people's business right there. Yeah, yep. that, that's scary. <laughs> you know, Mike and I, you know, we can we can kind of work from remote. I mean, the vast majority of, of mediumship readings that I do are telephone readings because they're just as accurate as in-person readings because mm-hmm. they're moving at the speed of light and quantum electromagnetic energy. And, uh, and as a public speaker, I can do this. And, and Mike, you know, as, um, the investigative work that you do, uh, you know, we have, we have the ability to do this. But for the people like Vanessa, you represent so much of the workforce that you have to be properly protected. And, mm-hmm. and that's yep. why the, the face shields, I mean, in Denmark, Lego, and first off, I didn't know Lego was a Danish corporation. Yeah, yeah. They started making plastic uh, face shields. Instead of making the Lego pieces, they retooled. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, and I liked to hear one of our um, our whiskey companies started making hand sanitizer. Well, they make alcohol. Okay, there so you go. we make a few things. There you go. Uh, Ford and GM are making ventilators. Um, I mean, it's like this, you know, this yeah, is the it's American- the type of thing they used to do to, back during World War II. They would, you know, repurpose these factories for other means to help support the effort. And it's nice to see some of these companies doing that now, too. Absolutely. And and I think that that, you know, that's what made America great is the fact that we're um, we're an ingenious country. Uh, we we we're a frontier country. We, we put this together. We're innovative. We adapt. OK, so we've been, you know, um, the land of plenty for so long. But you know what? We're starting to see that that good old innovative American spirit is still there. And that's why if we do this properly. If we get the proper PP, you know, the the personal uh, protection equipment, equipment. Yeah. yeah, we get all that in place. I think we're going to do this, and, and we need to give our scientists 
um, the chance to to create to create the vaccine. Now, I know there's a lot of people that think, you know, Bill Gates is some sort of James Bond villain that wants to inject people <laughs> with a chip and all this. And if you want to believe that, have at it. But the thing is, um, I've, like I said, I've been to many places in the third world. And I'm really glad that before I went, I got yellow fever inoculations, hepatitis A, hepatitis B, yeah. and taking malaria medication. I was in the Amazon in some of the deepest, darkest places. There was no um, electricity, no running water. And we'd go into these villages, and the people, you know, they're wearing loincloths, and they're covered in bugs and mange. Mm. You know, there's this feeling that, oh, you know, the Amazon, it's like this utopia. No, it isn't, all right? It's absolutely <laughs> beautiful. I mean, you know, see, it's absolutely beautiful from a nature standpoint, but from a human standpoint. I was in a, a number of villages, I didn't really see anyone over 30. And we were asking them, where's the old people? You know, and, and uh, our guys, you know, they'd say, well, there are no old people. That's because they don't live that long. Right. And, and and the thing is, um, the flu kills people there. The common cold kills people there. And, and so I know there's a lot of people that are anti-vaccine, but I have been in those places where the vaccines are lifesavers. So... Um, you know, that that's my experience. If you don't want to do the vaccine, if you think this is all a hoax, that's the other beautiful thing about America. You have a right to be an idiot. So have at it. <laughs> well, and you bring up a really good point. And I would love to ask two intelligent men right here this question. I have never in my life heard anything, anyone say anything negative about Bill Gates ever till now. Something makes me wonder how much of that is fabricated, how much of it is fear-mongering and fear-based, because I've never once, not one time, ever heard anything negative. Well, you're now. talking to the wrong person, because I came up through the computer industry that was more on the Linux side of the house, and so the people that were, on, were Linux developers didn't like Microsoft. So. <laughs> but you know what I mean. From From my understanding, he has always been somebody who is very giving very he caring. has all this philanthropy yes 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 um and and that is wonderful and i've never heard anyone complain but now that he's backing his money into this all of a sudden he's the devil and i was just wondering where that train of thought was coming from because i don't see that track where that came from in 2015 bill gates gave a ted talk how the world is completely unprepared for a pandemic Mm -hmm. And he charted out and he said that if we get hit by, basically, he described the scenario that's going on. So the conspiracy theorists have extrapolated that into, oh, this must be his machination and that he's doing this so that he can uh, corner the market on the vaccine, but actually inject us with a, a microchip that he can track us on. First off, I don't know why he'd want to track us because, you know, your Google phone does that anyway. Right. Uh, Pretty much. Also... The fallacy with that is the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation spends $3 billion, with a B, per year on providing medical treatment for um, underdeveloped nations and people in the third world. So you're absolutely correct, Vanessa. Um, the Bill and Melinda Gates uh, Foundation is concerned with the welfare of the planet. And what it is, Bill Gates is saying, we're not prepared for a pandemic. And we are now seeing that we're not. Now, one of the benefits coming out of this is that we will be, 
And now the experts are saying that there'll be a second wave, which is not unusual with pandemics. We've seen this before, yep. particularly in the 1918 um, uh, Spanish flu. But also when the flu season starts in the winter, that plus a resurgence of COVID could be even worse. Mm -hmm. okay, I get that. But by that time, we're going to be prepared. We're going to have the ventilators. We're going to have the treatments. We may have a vaccine. Secondly, the other thing, I was always raised in, in a family that was very germ conscious. And a, and a big part of that was because of me. Um, I was a blue baby. I was born. I wasn't breathing. They, the, the doctor told my mother that was it. And she said, you work on him. And, and they, they were humoring her. And all of a sudden, I started coughing. And they brought me back. And then I died when I was four years old. I went into respiratory and cardiac arrest. I had a near-death experience, and and uh, they were able to bring me back. And so we always had to be very conscious of contagions. Well, I was always taught when you cough, you cover your mouth. Okay, so right. you cover your mouth. You wash your hands. If you're sick, you stay home. You don't go to school and tough it out and cough all over people. Okay, mm -hmm. and what's happening now? is that the whole world is getting a lesson in how not to spread the colds, flus, pneumonia, tuberculosis, and coronaviruses. And so with this advanced understanding, which everybody should already know, and Vanessa, you're in the, the medical profession, so you know those things. Oh yeah. That it we may be in a better position to contain and prevent the spread of these things when the flu season comes up in 2021. So we have to, yes, listen to the experts absolutely and take their advice on, you know, covering your mouth. And, and right. It's surprising to me how many people didn't know to wash their hands and things like that. But I guess a I lot know, of people right? haven't been. Yeah. I, I know. It, it's absolutely. I mean, like I was at a restaurant one time and the server was wiping up something on the floor, and then she took the same rag and started wiping off my table. Oh, geez. Mm -mm. And I got up and walked out, you know? She yeah. mm -hmm. going, and it's like, if I have to explain that, all right, yeah. uh, if, if that's what's going on in the dining room, I don't even want to think about what's going on in the kitchen. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, and so, but, but now this is coming to light, and I think that it's going to put us in a better position. I spent a lot of time in Japan. When people are sick and they have to go out, they wear masks. Yeah, mm -hmm. you're not supposed to get other people sick. Right. And I think that's going to finally start happening here. I do have some questions here from the chat that I do want to get to. Um, so Betty Lange has an interesting question here. She was wondering about, uh, you know, through all of this, how many children could possibly uh, end up with PTSD? Well, that's going to depend largely on how the parents deal with this. I mean, once again, let's get back to did people develop PTSD in the Great Depression? Okay, everybody's in it together. Instead of terrorizing our children, we need to explain to them what's going on and that we're all working how to prevent this. Because PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, that usually comes when somebody sees a, a violent death or something horrible happens to them, like being raped or, or beaten to a pulp, um, or, or you know, they'll, they'll see a horrific accident, certainly uh, uh, military personnel, first responders. But it's how we deal with our children. And I discuss 
this in, in my book, Evidence of Eternity, in a chapter called Grief, Crime, Grief. And let me extrapolate that into this. With Grief, Crime, Grief, in what I found as both an attorney and as a psychic medium, that in the developmental stages of a person's life, whether they're a child, teen, possibly young adult, an unresolved death, in other words, a sibling, a parent, a grandparent has died, and the family doesn't deal with it. Oh, don't think about it. Don't worry about it. Because people assume, oh, the child's so young, uh, they won't remember. Well, they do. Yeah. And you can't ignore something like that. So the grief then leads to impulsive behaviors, addictive behaviors to take the edge off the pain, drinking, doing drugs, um, acting out. And that can lead to behaviors then that inflict grief upon other people. Exhibit A, drunk drivers. I've never met an alcoholic or a drug addict who is a happy person. Yeah. They're self-medicating. Okay. So let's look at this. If you work with your children, talk to them, find out what they know about this, what they understand. Are they afraid? Why are they afraid? And, and have open and frank discussions. Let the child express his or her fear. Let him or her cry if they need to. That's how you will create a loving and supportive system that is going to head off at the pass pre-trial, um, pre post-traumatic stress disorder. So I, I hope that that answers um, uh, the question. Oh, that was a great response. I, I do have uh -huh. something uh, to ask you that that's associated because you mentioned the Great Depression and... I remember with, with my grandparents coming out of the Great Depression, I wasn't around back then, but I remember the stories and I remember how they were. Um, you know, they it, it was a long time before they trusted the banks again. Uh, they did become, you know, a bit of, of pack rats. And, and I, won't, I won't say that they were hoarders or anything like that, but there were a lot of things that they, you know, hung on to and clung on to and kind of store up for a while. So, you know, what do you think that we're going to have going forward from here as far as like some of our tendencies from, from our generation? Are we going to be, you know, are we going to be, you know, hanging on to extra toilet paper and water here for a while? Uh, I think it's, well, you know, I, I, like I was saying earlier, I live in East Coast, Central Florida. I've been through 15 hurricanes and three tornadoes. Yeah. So the funny thing is this, this feels like when a, a hurricane is coming and you stock up with supplies, except this is the slowest hurricane. You know, we're used to like, you know, you turn on the news, you call it the cone of death where they have the projection where they're like, ah, you know, and right. like, all this. And then sometimes it hits and it's horrible. Um, tornadoes are, are the worst because mm -hmm. uh, it's just like, you know, total annihilation. Um, but but I think that this is going to make people more conservative in, in their financial planning. Also, um, with the Great Depression, the banks failed. They also didn't have the Federal Reserve then right. the way we have it now. So the Great Depression also prevented people from buying stocks on margin um, to the extent that they did then. Yeah, I think back then all you had to do is have 20% down and you could leverage 80% of the stock. And then when the stocks crashed and everything came due, that brought the uh, market down. Similarly, in 2008, when the economy crashed, uh, what was happening then, the Bush administration, and they had a very noble goal of everyone needs to own a house. Well, the problem is they were making mortgages available for people who couldn't qualify to right. really um, have a mortgage. And people were taking like 150% of what they really needed. And instead of buying a house with it, they're buying, you know, widescreen TVs and cars and all this. 
And then when the, the real estate market crashed, it basically was another form of the, the Great Depression, except for the real estate instead of stocks. But this time, the economy didn't tank because we ran it into the ground. This was from an external threat. Yeah. So essentially, the economy is is sound. It's getting like people like Vanessa back to work, getting people like Mike and I that where we don't always have to stay home, get back out. Um, I'm doing these type of, of projects. Um, and it's also, Mike, going to depend entirely on how the banks handle things and our financial institutions handle things once we do go back to work. If they start jacking up interest rates and, and uh, really sticking it to us, it's going to make people extremely, extremely uh, distrustful of the, the financial institutions. So I think it's incumbent upon them to be very, very careful and very gentle with the American people. We're a forgiving nation. However, we also don't forget. Yeah. So, uh, so I think those are, those are going to be the repercussions. Um, I have a, I, I want to expand on that just real quick because it's something I've actually given a lot of thought to and I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about it is I know that once we start to come out of this and you're going to have your small businesses and you're going to have your, your individuals who aren't going back to work full time or have completely lost their jobs and can't stay on unemployment for whatever reason. And they, you know, people are going to be needing loans. And I have actually worried that we might fall into a situation very similar to what you just described when you're talking about the real estate market is that they are going to to get money back into society and get people shopping again and everything that they're going to be approving loans that should not be approved. That that, that is a very real concern of mine. Very valid point. Uh, I think when when we're able to reopen and and uh, the the crisis subsides, uh, I don't think we're going to you know immediately bounce right back to where we were. I think it's going to take the better part of a year, but mm -hmm. we will rebuild. I mean, it took World War II to get us out of the Great Depression. Um, I'm really hoping that. Uh, well, here's the thing: World War III is going to basically destroy the entire world, so there will be no bouncing back from that. So I don't think that it's going to be a war that's going to bounce us out of that, out of this. I think what's going to require is, yes, um, issuing loans, but uh, also maintaining interest rates at lower levels mm -hmm. and also by doing more stimulus packages. Um, one of the, the things that I have liked hearing out of the White House is that we really need to rebuild our infrastructure. Now, that would be very key to getting a lot of the things in this country going again. Let's repair our roads, our hospitals, our airport. Yeah. I mean, I was, yeah, I was in Hawaii <laughs> and, you know, I'm driving, I was in Maui and I'm driving over these bridges, you know, it's great, you know, and, and then I'm hearing that these bridges are over a hundred years old and I'm like, oh my God, you know, it's like yes. pouring rain. <laughs> There's that doesn't sound safe. Yeah, we should be driving on hundred year old bridges. Um, these things need to be repaired. And also we need to be using American steel, American concrete, American made things. One of the things, and, and, and I don't mean to sound like a, an ultra nationalist because I realize it's a global economy. But when we start hearing that a lot of the drugs that we need are being made in China um, and that all these essential things are being made in China, one of the reasons one of the many reasons that we won World War II is because the United States could outproduce any country in anything. Yeah. Um, I read um, 
um, Dwight D. Eisenhower's book about invading um, Europe. And he said when he stood on the beach of Normandy and saw all the destroyed equipment, trucks, tanks, artillery pieces, he said no other country on earth could have withstood that type of material loss except for the United States because we can replace all of that. So I think, Mike, following up on, on your question earlier, what's going to come out of this? There needs to be a rethinking of we need to be making more things here. We also yes. I agree with that. That we can feed ourselves. And to the most part, the United States can. One of the reasons that the, the British Empire uh, lost its, its power was during World War II, uh, Britain could had to import over 50% of its food. And that's why the U-boat campaign of torpedoing all the, the British mercantile fleet essentially bankrupted Great Britain, whereas Germany could feed itself. The United States could feed itself. We need to make sure that we can manufacture essential goods, products, what we need to rebuild our infrastructure, and always make sure that we can manufacture our drugs and medical treatments here and feed ourselves. And I think that that's going to be one of the, the lessons that must be learned coming out of this crisis. Well, it's something that, that we as Americans used to know. Trade school was a wonderful thing. Using your hands to build and to create was a wonderful thing. I myself have been a factory worker. And somewhere along the way, we began to believe that only those who have college educations and only those who become attorneys or doctors or judges or whatever – only those people deserve consideration, and we decided blue collar was less than satisfactory and needs to go to another country where it costs us less to make it and more to sell it over here. Yeah, it's something that my mentality uh, needs to go away. Yeah, that's something my dad complained about before he retired because he was a tool and die maker by trade, and he kind of moved up through mm -hmm. the, the ranks from basically, you know, the factory floor, you know, building the machines up into you know supervisory roles. But you know, toward the end of his career. He had a bunch of jobs open, and this was during a time where, you know, people were saying that, um, you know, jobs are hard to find and all this other stuff. He's like, I have all these skilled labor positions, but there haven't been any people trained in these positions, mm -hmm. you know, to be able to do this. And so, Vanessa, you're, you're right. We kind of lost that. And I noticed it with my kids when they would have their high school orientation that it was all college, 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 college. And the guy from the, we call it a vocational school now, uh, but basically, you know, had been the trade schools and all that. He would come up and, and talk for like two minutes and he'd be gone. So, and you make a lot of money if you if you're skilled in a trade. Mm -hmm. I used to make throttle starts for lawnmowers, and I made yeah. stupid money when I was 22, 23. I made an amazing amount of money making well, throttle starts for lawnmowers. Let me ask you this: All right, let's say they drop you off on a desert island with one other person. Would you want it to be a psychologist or a carpenter? Carpenter. Exactly, carpenter. <laughs> Any day of the week and twice on Sundays, and I'll tell you why. Because it is it is imperative to me, and and we, my ex husband and I have both taught this with with our son, that you know about life and how to work with your hands and how to how if we were to ever lose all technology, and lose the capability to to make money in that way through technology and different jobs uh, like that, you have to have a skill. You have to have a marketable skill that is worth trading for something else. You have to have that. And we've forgotten that somehow we've become too big for it. You know, and we need to get back to that. 
this has happened before, and, and you know, I'll keep it real short. All right, the probably one of the closest things in history to the United States is the Roman Empire. All yep. right. Mm-hmm. So, so basically, better part of 2,000 years ago, you had this very sophisticated society. You had people that lived in the land of plenty. You had engineering roads and all this. And then all of a sudden, they get invaded, and a good chunk of the empire, pretty much Western Europe and North Africa, collapses. And what happens? It's the Dark Ages. And all of a sudden, the Roman populace, meaning most of these people, they wouldn't have known a hammer from a coconut. And... Mm-hmm was it that survived and prevailed were the people with the technical skills right so once again looking to history the past is prologue these things have happened before and you're absolutely right vanessa everything's college 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 well not everybody is suited for college not because they're not intelligent it's just that their skill set may be more mechanically or vocational mm-hmm. oriented and we should have these things. I mean, yes. I in Florida, air conditioning is not a luxury. It's life support. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Air conditioning, let me tell you, the air conditioning uh, techs make make a fantastic living. Oh, and, sure. Uh, yeah, these are the type of technical skills that we need. And we can't import foreign labor. It's like, let's tr- you know, train our own people to do this. Well, we forget simple jobs like sanitation workers get amazing pay and excellent benefits and a, and a wonderful retirement. But it's looked down upon. Heaven forbid you be a trash man, but you're going to be a trash man happily all the way to the bank. Well, would you want to live in a world without trash? You know, exactly. You know, I remember I was in um, I was in Times Square. I was with my manager, Rocky, and I I had a speaking engagement up there. And we went to Times Square and there's all these people. And there's this guy and he was cleaning stuff up. Okay, this is uh, African-American. I had dreadlocks on and. And, and, I, and we walked up to him and, and I said, thank you for what you do. And he says, what? I said, thank you for what you do. He goes, what do you mean? I go, this place doesn't look this clean magically. He goes, you exactly. know, <laughs> nobody's ever thanked me before. And you know what it is? I used to be a landscaper um, when I when I was in, in law school in the summers. Um, I was a landscaper. I've cleared land. I've had to clean up piles of trash and I didn't climb, you know, mm-hmm. palm trees, chainsaw. I hated that. Um, and, uh, the snakes weren't a lot of fun either because they're always coiled up in a tree. And of course, you know, there's nowhere to run and, and anyway. Um, but the thing is we were talking to him and he was the nicest guy. He had three kids. He was married. He said it was a tough job. He said, um, but, and he said, you can't even imagine what this place is like the morning of January 1st, <laughs> you know, I mean, think about, Bad. think about cleaning up the new year's mess, um, at times square. Yeah. And, those jobs should not be looked down upon. There's nothing horrible about them. And, and who would want to live in a world without these people who are doing these essential tasks? Exactly. Well, we've learned that is something that needs to be taken out of this entire situation. We've learned it's not the CEOs of the company that are keeping the world going. We've learned it isn't the people that that put themselves on these high pedestals that are keeping things going it is the truckers it's the guys that clean up the operating rooms it's nurses it's doctors it's cnas who do the grunt work you know when i was still at work it's people like me it's the it's the guys at chick-fil-a drive-through that are standing out there with their masks masks on in the heat making sure that we can safely get something to eat those are the people keeping this world going and i don't think we need to forget that when it all goes back to normal 
Yeah, I went to a grocery store yesterday, and pretty much every everybody working there, and pretty much everybody that was going in there, we all had masks on. And there was a cart, you know, and I took, you know, the shopping cart and I brought it up. And the young lady that worked there, she goes, well, thank you. I said, you know, because we have a pandemic doesn't mean we shouldn't be polite. And we both started yeah. laughing, you know, because a lot of people are like, Ugh! you know, it's like, look, everybody, let's just bring it down a notch. All right. Nobody likes this. And and look, the, this whole conspiracy theory, this is the new world order. I will say this for Mr. Trump. There is no way he would run the economy into the ground because it would make him look bad. All right. So that's Let's try to get reelected. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's something he would not do. Okay. So, so let's at least give him some credit for that. Um, also, I can't really think of, of any world leader. Does China really want to run the world economy into the ground? Yeah, there are adversary, but by destroying the United States economy, it's like cutting off your nose to spite your face because they make more money off us than they do anyone else. Yeah. And, you know, um, there's all these theories that oh, Russia's behind it all. They're the ones that let the virus out in Wuhan province and all this. And it's like, right. But doesn't, you know, Russia and China have a 5,000 mile border. So it's going to kind of go from China into Russia. So there's all these insane theories about how this is some type of conspiracy. Um it may be, I like to be open-minded, but the fact remains, this has happened before in history. It's just now because of our advanced technology and our news interconnectedness, we're aware of, of COVID from Scotland to New Zealand. Right. Whereas back in the Middle Ages, it was this mysterious plague that came and obviously it was God was ticked off at, you know, whatever. Um, so... <laughs> So anyway, well, let's listen to the scientists, but have faith in God to get us through this. There you go. So I have a couple more questions here. I, we only have a few more minutes, so a couple more questions here from the uh, viewers. Um, kind of back to the uh, the note on children. Tom McNicholas was asking, uh, I help teach high school kids with disabilities. How do I get them to understand what's going on? Well, that that's, well, it depends on the type of disability that they have. You know, it's like, um, I know a number of people with cerebral palsy and people think because of the way they speak that they're somehow not intelligent, which is absolutely not the case. Right. Um, I, I think just sit down and explain to them uh, in terms that they will understand that uh, what what's going on. You know, the truth. So many people say, well, I shelter my children. I don't want them knowing about the world. And my parents hmm. didn't have that philosophy. The world is a dangerous place. I like what J.R.R. Tolkien said. It's a dangerous business going out your front door. Okay. And it yeah, is. It is. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, you don't know when you, you drive off in your car, you walk down the street that something may happen and you're never coming back home, at least not in the physical sense. But, <laughs> but, um, sorry. But, um, I think being direct and being truthful, also with people that have disabilities, patronizing them is the absolute worst thing you can do. Mm -hmm. Every life matters, every life counts, and they deserve as much respect as anybody else. There's an old saying that everyone in the world is my superior because I may learn something from each one of those people. Yep. And if we start looking at that, I think that that's the way to approach these students. Great, great. Agreed. And one more here from Betty Lange, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, Mark, do you feel that the psychic vibrations have changed from COVID-19? 
Absolutely. And it's what I was talking about earlier, how we're being presented a lesson on a global basis that if we start putting our brain trust, our scientists um, and our experts working together, that um, we can solve global problems. You know, in the spiritual field, we always talk about we're all energetically interconnected. And we know that from quantum physics, Mike. I know that we've had that discussion before. Now we're seeing it. We're all interconnected because we are all facing a common threat. And so it is a lesson humanity is learning that we truly are one human family. And this planet is the only place we have to live. So it's time to start treating each other with respect and treating mother nature with that respect. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Mark, really appreciate having you back on the show. The time went by quick, but you know, we always appreciate you know, your insight, especially into matters like this and during a time like this. So um, how can everybody find you, get a hold of you and you know, your website, books, all that stuff? Well, um, my website, evidenceofeternity.com, and you can sign up for my newsletter. You can get my books through my website, Never Letting Go and Evidence of Eternity. So the website's like the book, Evidence of Eternity. And Vanessa and Mike, I'm making an offer, um, extending an offer for your listeners. Um, If you apply for a phone reading and you mention Edge of the Rabbit Hole or you mention Mike or Vanessa, um, my staff is um, going to extend to you a reduced fee session with me. Oh, fantastic. Yay, that's wonderful. Well, well, we all have to do our part here. (laughs) And so, but you got to mention Mike and or Vanessa and Edge of the Rabbit Hole that you're a listener, and I will extend uh, that that courtesy reduced fee session because now more than ever, people are frightened and they need messages of love, healing, and resolution from their loved ones in spirit. And it is my honor to facilitate those connections. So I'd also like to thank all the listeners of Edge of the Rabbit Hole. Um, thank you for tuning in. Uh, it is an honor for me to work with Vanessa and to work with Mike. I look forward to returning and, and hopefully this year. Um, so. God bless <laughs> all of you. Be safe, be smart, be well, and use the gift God gave you in approaching this situation. Fantastic. Absolutely. It Thank was you a again, pleasure, Mark. Mark. Yes, as always. As always, definitely a uh, pleasure. So you take care, Mark, and uh, enjoy your evening. We'll see you back soon. Bye-bye, Hans.